Welcome to the Macrofab Engineering Podcast. I am your guest, Dylan Nichols. And we are your hosts, Parker Dillman and Stephen Craig. This is episode 165. Dylan Nichols is an electrical engineer specializing in embedded systems. He spends his free time designing circuits, writing code, and building physical objects by 3D printing, woodworking, and metalworking. He also enjoys trying out new processors and services to build up his engineering knowledge base. So Dylan, you also won one of the categories for the MacFab Design Contest. Can you talk about a little more about your, your project? Yeah, um, so this project came about because in 2017, there was this event called Makevember, where the uh, objective was to make something every day of the month. Um, so one of my projects was making an LED flash from a 555 timer. And I wanted to do it a little different, and I tried to do it from a coin cell battery. And it turns out there's just not enough juice to, to really use a 555 and, and flash the LED. Um, but I posted it on Twitter, and some people said, you know, there's a 7555 timer, which is, I guess, a lower power version. And someone mentioned a chip called an LM3909. Um, and I haven't heard of this before. It's an integrated circuit specifically made to flash an LED. So it's like, you know, why use the 555 whenever this thing exists? Um, it It's made so you could power from 1.5 to 5 volts and it'll um, automatically boost it or whatever to the LED voltage. Um, so I, I was researching this and there's a couple websites that really go in depth on this on this chip. And um, looking at the, the data sheet, there's actually a schematic of how the chip works. And you know, looking at it, I see you know it's just transistors and resistors. So I decided to make a PCB um, with all the parts from the datasheet schematic, and um, it turns out it worked. And you know, my LED flashed from a coin cell battery. So it seemed like that would be a good thing to enter into the you know blinking contest. So what makes the LM? I guess what makes the LM three nine oh nine like special then in terms of like compared to a 555 timer or something else that would blink an LED. Yeah, it seems like it's meant to output just the, the right, you know, two volts or whatever for an LED, where um, a 555 timer, I think, has an open collector output, uh, something like that. So, you know, it's purpose-built for the LED's voltage. So it's got a, its driver is designed for LEDs. Yeah, yeah, I guess... This is a, this is a really old chip, so it's probably meant, you know, back before everyone had a microcontroller in their project and could, you know, blink an LED there, where you actually had to use some hardware for it. Did uh, do you know if the ship had like current drive where it would, regardless of what LED you put on there, it would adjust for that? Yeah, I'm not really sure. Cool. I can see this thing being the LM3909 that is uh, being used in like those fake security cameras. Yeah, which is blinking the red LED. Exactly. Yeah, that's a good use. <laughs> but case. I think you, I think you can get LEDs now that have built-in blinking functions built into the LED. Yeah, but they but they they don't blink the way you think. They they're not like second on off. They're like okay. They they blink like uh, you can get if you see like those cheapo like they simulate uh, candle flames and things. Like if you go to a restaurant and there's like a fake flame there, a lot of times it's just an LED and a battery. 
gotcha, uh, just gotcha. blinking away. Yeah, this one you could um, change the the frequency with a external uh, resistor and capacitor. So well, that's cool. you could pick your own frequency if you want. Yeah, and you won the pragmatic category of the Macrofab design contest, which effectively was do something useful, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Nothing more useful than blinking an LED, I guess. Well, I guess blinking it in a useful way. <laughs> <laughs> so, Dylan, um, we're, we're bringing you on to the podcast to talk about home automation, uh, not blinking LEDs. But I guess you can blink LEDs with home automation. Um, so what about home automation do you like to do, Dylan? Um, I just like making things simple for myself you know making uh just like removing the friction from doing things so i don't have to think about anything you know um to me i'd like to just walk in a room and the lights turn on automatically you know open the door the lights turn on you know have the house you know thinking for itself so that's that's really what drives me to do it well what do you have uh what do you have automated so far what uh what parts of your life have you integrated into uh, automation? Uh, most of my past projects have been lights and various rooms. Um, so, like, you know, go into the bedroom and the lights will turn on automatically. Open a closet door, um, the lights will turn on. Um, I've done a certain project where uh, the garden would get watered automatically. Um, basically, anything that helps you that you don't have to think about, that, that's really what I like about the home automation. Awesome. So what uh, what got you started in doing home automation? Well, like I said about the garden watering project, that was really one of my first um, electronics projects. Um, it was actually the first project that I used in Arduino. So this was back in 2012. Um, so this circuit, um, I remember using an Arduino, but at that point I was, I was still in high school and I think the Arduinos were so expensive that I actually removed the uh, Atmega chip and put it on my board because I didn't want to waste the whole, you know, $40 Arduino. <laughs> um, That's great. Yeah. So this, this circuit, um, it, was, it was basically a countdown timer where the Arduino, you could turn it on and it would turn on a solenoid valve and uh, water the garden. So you could set like a for it to water the plants for an hour and after an hour it would turn off so you don't have to you know remember to go out and shut off your water or it would also um, you could also turn on manually and it would count up and say you've been watering your plants for a couple hours maybe you need to stop um, <laughs> but like I said this was this was back in 2012 with an Arduino I think now if you, know, you wanted to do something like this, the the ESP32 or the ESP8266 would be great because, you know, Wi-Fi, you could um, check the weather online and see if your plants need watered. So I think, you know, there's been big improvements in a couple of years on the uh, circuitry front. So on, on turning the lights on and stuff, how, how does your house know to turn on your closet light? What kind of sensors are you implementing? <laughs> yeah, a button. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> I, I like to keep it I like to keep it simple um, I've done two different closets and I did them different ways uh, the first one was uh, had a sliding door so I used a reed switch and a magnet um, 
So this sliding door had two separate doors that you could open either one. So I made it that each one had a reed switch and a magnet. So if you opened one of them, the light would turn on. Or, or you know, you could open both and it would turn on. But it would also detect if you left the door open for too long, um, like, you know, 15 minutes or something, and it would automatically turn the lights off. So that was one of them. The other one was um, just a, um, like, an automotive door switch. Um, since they're they're pretty robust that I attach to the closet door so whenever you close the, the door the lights would turn off and open it and they'd turn on. Um, I, I really like just keeping things simple. Yeah, and uh, were you using Arduino for that project also? Let's see. The, the sliding door one I used an MSP430 and the, um, the door switch one was a Arduino for that one. Yeah, just going all over the place with processors, right? Yeah, I, I like trying them out, you know, learning the quirks, and you know, if I want to use it again, I kind of know where to look. Yeah, that's really valuable. Uh, just at least having your hand, like, in a handful of different processors and just knowing the quirks of them, that's really, really useful. Um, so for the for the read switches, was that something that you sourced? Like, did you go to Mauser for that, or is that something they had lying around? Because a lot of times those read switches are used in like home security and things uh, for like your your windows and stuff right. that talk back to the the mothership. Yeah, I think that's probably where I got the idea from. Um, I remember getting those uh, like stick-on ones that you stick them on the door and like an alarm buzzes or something. And I think that's where I got the idea. And then I ended up sourcing them. Um, yeah. I guess the issue with them is, you know, they're made of glass usually, and if you shut the door too hard, you could break it, which uh, I experienced for myself. So the, um, so I'm, I'm going to guess these these lights are offline. Then they're not online. They're not like the latest craze in home automation, which is IoT everything. Correct? Yeah, yeah. I try to stay away from IoT as much as I can. Um, most of the things don't need it. Like I don't think my lights need internet. Um, I've you know, I, I like the the idea of like the voice assistants and being able to say, "Hey, you know, turn my light on." Th that's nice, you know, to turn a light on from another room. But some things, you know, it's just easier if you have a, a trigger opening a door and it turns the light on. Uh, you don't need the internet for that. So uh, something that comes to mind now is okay. So for your for your closet door project, are you storing the brains of this? Like in the J box that has the light, like it does. Is that getting power from the mains? Like, how are you handling all of that? Yeah. So um, the two different projects had two different uh, methods. The first one, yeah, I powered it from mains, and it was um, it controlled the light like a, a mains powered light bulb. Um, the second one, I used like stick-on LED lights that I rewired for. I forget, maybe 5 volts or something. I think the whole thing worked off 5 volts. Arduino's 5 volts. So that one was just a, you know, an AC to DC adapter and kind of all hanging in my closet. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah, because I, I could see there being... Um, like, it could be really useful to rewire a J-Box or the J-Box that has the light fixture in it such that you could also have a board that has your, your trip circuit in it. Yeah, because um, because were you uh, switching the lights on with a relay when you were switching mains? Yep, yeah, that one was, um, and that one that one was a MSP four thirty, like I said, and that project's been running for 
years and years now. That's probably five or more years, and it's still going up there. So, so, so uh, was it really stripped down? So basically, just an input and then the relay output, and and all the magic happens in the MSP. Yeah, but I, uh, of course I had to overcomplicate it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the the read switches also had an LED on them, so you would know if the door was open. So you know if your lights went out and the door was open you'd still see the light on the door and know that it's open so you could close it. Okay, so to the read switches, you were you had the actual switching signal, but you also set power down to the switch. Yeah, yeah, I actually used a, um, a telephone cable for this because it had um, you know, the jacks on the end and it was four pins, which was just enough for an input and output power and ground. Ah, cause, cause I, yeah, I was about just about to ask about wiring. If you had like twisted four wires together, or did you go through the wall, uh, like actually like punch into the drywall, or did you kind of just go against the wall? Uh, yeah, I, I drilled a hole. Uh, yeah, the lights above this closet was our attic, so it was relatively easy to get into. So, Dylan, uh, what's next for your home automation projects, and where do you want to take this? Yeah, so I, I just got a new house. And so far, I've used um, different products to automate it, but I haven't built much myself. Um, one of the first things I want to do is make a environmental monitoring system for the whole house to have uh, temperature and humidity sensors in all the rooms. Um, I was thinking about doing this with the new particle mesh devices. So they use the, the low power thread network so I should be able to create like a whole house mesh network and send around the temperature and humidity data. We, uh, one of the software developers at Macrofab and I discussed a project that was similar to that where we, we were talking about having a bunch of temperature nodes that were basically just stickable little temperature sensors that you could make a mesh throughout your entire house you could monitor your house for some extended period of time and see where your hot and cold spots are and things that I, I always love that idea um, for gathering information and then modifying your house in order to make it more energy efficient. Yeah, that's exactly my idea. Um, this house that we got, it's a little bit older and definitely just walking through it. You could tell some rooms are warmer and some are colder. So it'd be nice to get some data and see what is actually happening. Do like a temperature, like 3D plot of your house? <laughs> yeah, that'd be great. Are you sure those cold spot spots aren't just the ghosts? Yeah, you might be right. It's The basement is really cold. <laughs> there must be a, a gravesite down here or something. <laughs> so so how about consolidating all of the the information that you're going for? You know, in the future, do you, do you want to kind of have like the mothership that everything talks to? where you can access all your information from that? Yeah, like I said, I kind of like to keep it simple. Like, you know, I don't I don't connect my lights for a reason. Um, I think having one big system uh, might be useful, but you need to make sure that not, like, one, one failure point will bring the whole system down. Um, <laughs> so your whole house turns into a house if it yeah. all goes down, Yeah, you right? can't have that. <laughs> no way. <laughs> Actually, you know that, that uh, we didn't ask this, but uh, for so for your 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 closet lights or or any of the other projects, are, do you still have the ability to turn them on if your system went out? Um. So the closet lights, no. Um. Those, yeah, they were 
automation only. And those two, I, I think, were robust enough that I never ha had the need to. Um, I built another project where uh, I had a lot of iterations on this project. Um, lights in my bedroom, where each of the individual lights had a, a switch and they'd go to an Arduino. And then the switch in the Arduino would uh, communicate to an RF relay and turn those on and off. And eventually that system got super complicated where I um, added some Bluetooth sensors and had Wi-Fi to the lights and, you know, having a huge system like that just has so many problems. Um, so having a, you know, a mothership to do the whole house, uh, I don't trust the complexity of it. <laughs> you know, it's, it's really interesting, um, mainly because the kind of people that we we normally interact with and, and talk with are like, yeah, let's do the mothership. Yeah, let's add all this crazy wacko stuff. It's really refreshing to hear someone who's like, no, let's bring it down to reality. You know? <laughs> like, let's be realistic about this. Yeah, you need to have a, a, a high wife approval factor for this kind of thing. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's got to last a long time and not cost, cost much money. Yep. Yeah, um, that that system, it had an issue where sometimes the Bluetooth would send bad data and it would c cause the lights to go into like a rave mode where they just flash <laughs> on and off. And it's the worst if that happens in the middle of the night and there's no way to turn it off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that's a good way to, to lose wife points. <laughs> Did you just tell, say it was a, it's a feature. <laughs> yeah. You don't want it wants, it wants us to party. Yeah. Dance party all night long. No, that's, that's <laughs> where you wake up and you just look at her and you go, what did you do? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She has the magic touch and breaks nearly all of my projects. So yeah, it, that would be an easy call. Oh yeah. What, what's, I can't remember the saying. It's like, if you make it, they'll break it. Uh, and that's not in reference to uh, the wife. That's more like, no matter how much you test your product, somebody will break it. Like it will happen. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, uh, it's it's a normal QA tester job. Yep, yep. Yeah. She's the best at that. <laughs> Very cool. So yeah, we were. Uh, so in terms of security on these things, you know, you you kind of have it locked down in a way because you're doing everything as local nodes because i was curious before um if you were really you know getting into the iot kind of thing or the wi-fi connected uh kind of game because we've certainly talked to a handful of people in fact we we've had a couple of podcasts about like iot or wi-fi garage doors that just cease to work or or you know a handful of other things and building in security seems to be in a lot of ways, a secondary thought, but in general, your house is as secure as you and your wife, right? Like you guys are the ones who can mess it up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I've done some projects that are internet controlled. I, I think it's really, you have to pick a company that you trust and not try and do it yourself. Um, Cause really you have to assume that a company of many people's gotta be no, more knowledgeable about it than you are as yourself. Most of the time. Most of the time. You hope so. <laughs> you hope so. <laughs> yep. What, yeah, until uh, they so go out of business and you're high and dry. 
Yeah, you can't open up your garage door. Um, so I, I'm imagining basically like the Mission Impossible movie now, like how people hack Dylan's house is is Tom Cruise comes through the AC vents and like wires down and like starts unlocking the the Arduino, hacking the Arduino directly. Yeah, <laughs> I guess. Uh, yeah, if you just inject a high enough voltage into my house, it might be okay. It might be able to just blow everything. <laughs> I could, I could see, yeah, I could see Tom Cruise suspended from the ceiling with the Arduino IDE open up, you know. <laughs> How much different would the first Mission Impossible movie be with the fact that everything's internet connected now? Like you wouldn't have that whole scene. No, there'd be a lot more typing. Well, I think oh, that- they would just go. They would just go into the lobby and put in like the guest password for the Wi-Fi and immediately get in. <laughs> well, and and yeah, I I think we talked about it on the first Star Wars. Uh, episode with uh, with Josh, he, he, I think he brought up the whole point where it's like Star Wars would be entirely different if email existed, right? Like the like everything about Star Wars is entirely different if they could just communicate. <laughs> so, Dylan, you've used a lot of different platforms to do your projects. Is there one that you're like, I'm going, I like this platform a lot? Yeah, probably my favorite one is Particle. Uh, like I said, I, I want to use their their mesh devices, but I've also, you know, had a lot of fun using their Wi-Fi boards. Um, I, I think their company is just great. They they do all the hard parts for you. You know, updating your board over you know Wi-Fi. They handle the cloud side. Um, their hardware is good and pretty cheap. Uh, you could use the uh, Arduino language for it. So I think. You know, if you just want to write the code for your device, Particle is is a great um, start there. Um, I guess on the other hand, if you want to really do everything yourself, uh, the ESP32 or ESP8266 kind of has the other direction where you really have to do everything yourself. Um, you, you still have the Arduino environment, so you could kind of write things there and pull in different libraries. Um, but really, you're on your own as far as what to do locally if you want to send things to the cloud um, all, all along those lines. You have to set up your own infrastructure in some way? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, so what um, what project are you going to build next with, I guess, this particle device? Yeah, so um, definitely planning on that uh, environmental monitoring system. Um Really, I just need to pick out the right sensors for all the rooms. Um, I don't know. I, I thought temperature and humidity are solved by now, but there's still all kinds of sensors coming out that you know are more accurate or have less drift or all kinds of things. Um, I, I've always wanted to put one in my vehicle for like carbon monoxide because mm-hmm. I tend to drive older vehicles that might have exhaust leaks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, there's, yeah, I've been looking into, there's a bunch of new sensors that do uh, volatile organic compounds. Um, okay, yeah, so, VOCs. Yeah, I've been looking into that, um, and I thought it would be fun to put one in the bathroom to see if it uh, detects any gases, <laughs> and you could ter- <laughs> automatically turn on the exhaust fan <laughs> if it does. <laughs> You see, now that would be a perfect uh, uh, situation to actually have it connected so we could tweet if it did detect anything. <laughs> uh, stay away from the bathroom. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> so, methane levels at. 
300 parts per million. <laughs> Actually, wait, Parker, didn't you design a tower, a light tower that did exactly that? Oh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, a, a while back, we used a, I can't remember what sensor it was. I think it was just a generic, like, uh, gas sensor. But, yeah, it, we call it the fart tower at work. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I was never able to install it because of, I guess, like, Reasons, uh, political reasons. I guess <laughs> <laughs> that's the best way I could, most politically correct way I could say it. Um, but I always wanted to put one of those like uh, it, it was a tower that you would have for like an SMT machine. So it has a red, a yellow, and a green light on it, right? And so green would be everything's good, groovy, and then yellow is when so it basically you could detect when someone walked in there. And so it'd be like, oh, there's someone in there. So if you're, you know, a little stall shy, you don't have to go in there. You can always wait. But red was like, it's fumigated. Don't go in there. <laughs> <laughs> so Dylan, what kind of hardware didn't work out? Mm. Is there anything that you would never use again? <laughs> um, so I've had certain projects where I've tried to reuse an old project to, for a new use and it's, it's things like that never work out for me like i i feel like if i'm starting a new project i just need to work f and start from scratch um you know sometimes uh, just starting from scratch is the best for a new project um i i actually mentioned that i really like the esp32 and i had a problem with it once where their data sheet um, showed all the iopens, and I designed my circuit around this. And I finally get my PCB, and it's not working. And I realized one of the iopens is actually input only. So I, I guess they don't understand that IO means input output. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. I wonder how many, how many hardware engineers that has bitten. Too many. Yeah. And there's, there's probably an errata to that somewhere. Somewhere. Yeah. You'll never find it, but it's out there. Yeah, it's out there somewhere. You know what, what really gets annoying is is now, I mean, I shouldn't say now, but uh, I was actually just dealing with this the other day. STM chips have certain qualifications for each one of their pins, and some of their pins, I can't remember what they call them. It's like F slash T or F slash I or something like that. So some of their pins are 5 volt tolerant, even though the chip is still running on 3.3. Some are not. And so you end up like, you know how you go, you go to a microcontroller data sheet and the first couple pages are, is just information. And then there's sometimes like a package drawing. And then after that is like eight pages of pin definitions, right? So in so the STM chips now their pin definitions are like this giant chart that they just print out because it's like well this can be this and it's this and sometimes it's this and sometimes it's that and this one is 5.5 or 5 volt tolerant or whatnot and so it's just it ends up it's starting to get kind of crazy if you ask me C footprint number 22 oh my gosh yeah <laughs> what what gets me on those is uh I, I run into this issue with FPGAs a lot is when I'm doing this, the symbol. I like to put, like, everything that pin can do needs to be in the symbol. No, so your my, symbol is, like, my a mile right? wide? <laughs> and so, yeah, sometimes, especially for FPGAs, it becomes, like, 
a full width on a 1440p monitor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. And you're like, well, I guess I won't use 90% of these functions, so I'm just not going to have them on there. Um, yeah, it, it makes it easier when I'm like planning out like what pins need to go where so I don't have to go check the data sheet all the time and, you know, oh, I need hardware, you know, UART. Which pins are that? I can just look at the symbol. Yeah, and, and like it, I think there's a good way of stripping that down, but still doing it like a hybrid of the way that you you're kind of talking about. Like, if you know your project needs an A to D or something like that, you could call out all the pins that have A to Ds. You don't necessarily have to call out all their functions. It's just like call out all those pins, and so you know, like, okay, I could pick one of these, and that would be fine. The ones that currently matter to your project, right? Yeah, but then you'd have to have your project pretty well defined from the get go. Yeah. And you're designing a footprint just or a symbol just for that project. Also, with FPGAs and their gazillions of pins, I'm sure your symbols look just crowded beyond belief. Oh, you, you break them up a little bit. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> that, that's actually one thing is a lot of my FPGA or a lot of FPGA projects that I've looked at and build myself. You don't use a lot of I.O. You use like, you know, 15, 16 I.O. And you just use a lot of internal logic. There's not a lot of FPGAs that are like an SOIC 24, right? That's just got a crap load of logic in it. Well, yeah, because it's not profitable for them to make that. They, they want to give you a gazillion pins because the core is what counts, right? Yeah, but all those I.O. pins make everything expensive. I found out that uh, certain packages, BGA, like small, the smaller the BGA package, the cheaper it is for some FPGAs. It's been crazy. Yeah, I wonder yeah. if that's, I wonder if that's due to packaging methods or something like that. Yeah, it could be. You know, I don't, I don't know the ins and outs, but but gut feeling would say, you know, the difference between sixty four pins and a hundred pins is probably fairly negligible when it comes to the way they manufacture it you know it would it's it's likely i'm just guessing here but a different jig that they throw in a machine that wire bonds or whatnot you know i mean i'm of course you know bigger package means more material which means more cost so you could follow that logic but in general like to the machine that actually does the wire bonding or the connection to the pads it's probably all the same i said i got one more i got one question um so when you start doing your prototyping for your home automation stuff, what is your process? Do you start with a breadboard or do you jump straight to a PCB or is it somewhere in the middle? Do you plug a whole bunch of daughter boards together and jumper wires across? and Or you're like Steven and kind of like Manhattan style solder stuff together into ginormous like look like tumbleweeds of circuits? <laughs> uh, most of the time, I, I jump to... PCB first a lot of the time. Um, I, whenever I first started, I'd hand wire everything, and that just gets so confusing now. I'd rather do it on the PC, and I could change things up. Um, I'll breadboard certain things if there's like you know a new sensor or something that I'm not quite sure about. You know, maybe I'll just test that out. Um, but really, I, I like just jumping to a PCB. I've had different projects where I've 
had a development board and a sensor, and I made a PCB just to wire it up for me, so I, I didn't have to do that myself. <laughs> <laughs> PCBs are so cheap these days that it doesn't even make sense to hand wire it most of the time. You know, uh, and and it's sort of on that, just as a quick side note, I finished a PCB on Saturday. Well, I finished two of them, uh, and one of them was 12 inches by 3 inches, and the other one was about 5 by 4 I ordered them Saturday night, and uh, this is Tuesday evening. They shipped this morning, and they'll be here later this week. And the shipping for these two boards, I got five of each, the shipping was almost the same cost as the boards themselves. It's crazy, because these exact same boards, I did a design similar to this um, when I was in high school, and I remember pricing these boards out, and it would have been like $500 and a month and that wasn't really that long ago uh, that I was in high school. It's, it's crazy how cheap it's gotten now and fast. Yeah, the economies of scale for the home gamer has like almost exponentially increased over like what the past eight years. Yeah. Yeah. And you don't have to sacrifice quality because it used to be like, well, you could get it cheaper if you're fine getting a board without solder mask. Oh, I've done that before. Yeah, I did it. I did that once. One time. Yeah, you do it no once one. and then you try to solder it together, especially yeah. like SMD parts. Yeah. Oh, boy. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. It's like, I'm going to save some money. Nope. Nope. You're just making a headache. Yeah. <laughs> so many solder shorts. <laughs> so, uh, Dylan, uh, what's on your bench right now? Well, I haven't actually been doing many electronics projects lately. Um, I've been doing a you lot have of. a clean bench? Uh, well, it's not clean. <laughs> it's just <laughs> doesn't have uh, in-progress projects. Um, I've been, you know, working in the workshop doing uh, like welding and uh, metalworking, kind of doing different things in my day job for a, a little bit. Yeah, you have to decompress by working on something else. Right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I have uh, periods where I'm super into electronics, where I'm into doing other things. Uh, kind of just goes back and forth. So what kind of welding process do you typically do? Uh, well, my my methodology is always get the cheapest tool and see if you like it, and then you could buy something better. So I just have a really cheap stick welder. So it's you know good enough to heat up some metal and make it stick. An industrial hot glue gun. Yeah, exactly. And my welds look about the, the same as hot glue. <laughs> you can get you can get a stick welder for less than a hundred bucks nowadays, which is crazy. I don't know the safety behind that, but uh, but yeah, it, it used to be a, a lot more than that for sure. So what do you what do you build, then, Dylan, with your stick welder? Um, the last thing I built was a welding uh, table uh, bench to work at. You know, kind of starting backwards. You weld the tools to help you weld. Um, uh, one of my other projects was I made a a uh, desk that kind of uh, slides into the couch, so you could work on your computer while sitting in the couch. Um, is that is that wife approved? Yep, actually, it made for her. So, ah, well done. Yeah, at the perfect height. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Design designed the uh, the angle myself and the height. Yeah. You know, whenever you custom make things, it, you know, you can make it exactly how you want it. Yeah, it's it's kind of funny that you mentioned, you know, building the welding thing. I, I've recently purchased a TIG welder myself, and uh, 
my wife asked me, she's like, so what are you making with it? Because I was, I was messing around with it the other day. I was like, a welding cart. And she's like, what's that? It's a cart to hold all the welding stuff. <laughs> and it's like, it's so circular. I love it. <laughs> it's hard to explain this. It's like, you, you don't get it. Don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah, I've probably spent more time um, building projects so I could build other projects than I've actually spent building the projects that I wanted to make. Yeah, I, I was thinking because one of your big things about home automation was to keep it simple, yet every project in your home automation system is completely different and a different <laughs> ecosystem. <laughs> yeah, uh, I guess uh, learning is kind of the goal there, not so much the automation. But, you know, it goes both ways. You have something whenever you're done. Oh, yeah, that's totally understandable. I th- yeah, And, you know, I think Hackaday has a really great article about uh, keeping it simple and in in vain with the same topic it's it's one of those things where it's like when you start a project ask yourself do I have all the things to accomplish this project right now like am I capable of doing it with all of the tools that I have right now or will I have to build a tool in order to do this or in order to accomplish the final goal and always keep your mind on the final goal you know so it's because it's one of those things where it's like oh I could build I could weld a table in order to put a CNC on top of this table, in order to cut a piece of metal that will help me weld. You know, like like that kind of thing was it like, <laughs> uh. <laughs> was it like to, to bake a bake a pie, it, you have to create the universe kind of thing? Oh, the Carl Sagan stuff? Yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> yep, that's definitely my hobby. Start from scratch. Go crazy. Great. Well, cool. Steven, do you have any more questions for Dylan? No, I think I'm good. All right, Dylan, you want to sign us out? Oh, actually, Dylan, where can people follow you on social media or get in contact with you? Uh, I'm mostly on Twitter. I post all my stuff there. Um, My name there is Dylan1337, so you can follow me on Twitter. Do you have a website? Yeah, my website is uh, tinkerer.us. Cool. And uh, do you want to sign us out? Yeah. That was the Macrofab Engineering Podcast. I was your guest, Dylan Nichols. And we were your hosts, Parker Dillman. And Stephen Craig. Later, everyone. Take it easy. Thank you, yes, you, our listener, for downloading our show. If you have a cool idea, project, or topic, let Stephen and I know. Tweet us at MacFab, at Longhorn Engineer, or at Analog ENG, or email us at podcast at MacFab.com. Also, check out our Slack channel. If you're not subscribed to the podcast yet, click that subscribe button. That way you get the latest map episode right when it releases. And please review us wherever you listen, as it helps the show stay visible and helps new listeners find us. And a quick little announcement before we end the podcast. KeyCon 2019 is coming up. It is a user conference for the popular open source CAD program, KeyCAD, happening April 26th and 27th, 2019 in Chicago, Illinois. This is the first and largest gathering of hardware developers using KeyCAD. Talks at the conference will span hardware design, revision control, scripting, manufacturing considerations, and proper library management, and getting started developing the underlying tools used for KeyCAD. All announced talks have been listed on the conference site, which is in the show notes, so go check that out.